And now a reading from 1 John chapter 3, verses 1-7. through 7. See what kind of love God has given to us, in that we should be called God's children. And that is what we are. Because the world didn't recognize him, it doesn't recognize us. Dear friends, now we are God's children, and it hasn't yet appeared what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we'll see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. Every person who practices sin commits an act of rebellion, and sin is rebellion. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and that there's no sin in him. Every person who remains in relationship to him does not sin. Any person who sins has not seen him or known him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The person who practices righteousness is righteous in the same way that Jesus is righteous. Here ends the reading. May God grant us wisdom and courage for interpretation. In this information age, we find summaries of the news helpful. Without the time or energy to read through loads of material or listen to in-depth reports of current events, we often rely on brief summaries of what's happening around the world. But there's also a danger in relying too heavily on these brief reports, for they can be misleading at times. Even those who bring us the daily newscasts understand this. The evening newscasters will be the first to tell us that they wish their news reports were lengthier. However, as rough indications, these summaries do at least point us in the right direction and give us some sense of the direction that things are taking in our world. Similarly, the scriptures have summaries of faith and practice that help us retain our direction before God and with one another. The Hebrew scriptures offer the Shema, the great summary of faith. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your might and with all your strength. This has long been a guide for people of faith. Another favorite summary, often quoted by many of us, is from the prophet Micah. And in summarizing what God wants from us, the prophet writes, And what does the Lord require of us? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. Back to the New Testament, both 1st and 2nd Corinthians provide informative commentary on the journey towards spiritual progress when the author writes, There is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. And then second, uh, in another place, you may recognize these words, and now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. And the greatest of these is love. Well, today we have a wonderful but lesser-known text coming out of the first letter of John. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this. When he's revealed, we shall be like him. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he's pure. Uh, in three brief verses, the author summarizes our Christian existence as a present reality, 
yet also one that is still to be completed. Not a one-time event or transaction, but a lifetime of potential progress and growth. How true it is when the author says, we are God's children now. For something of the redeeming love as God has already happened in our lives. This present experience of God's love, the inclusion of every neighbor into this same love of God, into this same family, and the call to witness to the vision of becoming increasingly more and more the beloved community, well, it's all worked to revive and sustain the church across the centuries. The Christian witness in the book we call First John insists that we are children of God, and not only children of God, but children of God right now. The author proclaims that in this relationship to God, we experience the desire and power to live in ways that are pleasing to God right now. The gospel is neither a correct set of thoughts and ideas about the ways of God, nor is it an ethic an illustration of how to live the righteous life. Instead, as this author says in 1 John, the gospel is an experience of God beyond doctrine and ethic. Beloved, we are God's children right now. But the author goes on to say that this gift of God's presence and power is also not yet fully realized. We have the now, and we have the not yet. And the not yet part, it's not yet fully realized, means it requires some work and some time and even some struggle sometimes. And this calls us into a future fulfillment of this gift of being God's children. The author says what we will be has not yet been revealed. So in this light, our calling and faith life is some kind of a progressive pilgrimage toward God and God's activity, not only in our own lives, but equally within the world. It is important for us to sense the meaning of this not yet that calls us on a continual journey. I have heard others describe life as though it can be understood in three ways. Maybe you've heard of these, if not. Hopefully, uh, you'll be able to catch on to what's being said. The first way we can view life is it depicts life, some depict life like a treadmill. Yeah, a treadmill. And, and looking at life this way, we, here we feel that life is just one darn thing after another. Sadly, some of us may even feel this way at the very moment, or at least we have in the past. It does not take great insight to understand much of the senseless, destructive ways so many people live. And when we are tired or when we're at what seems like some kind of an impasse emotionally or societally, life looks like a treadmill. Treadmill living drains us of any sense of direction or progress or purpose, like that well-known image of Shakespeare's full of sound and fury signifying nothing. The second way of understanding life is describing it as a sort of saga. So we got the treadmill view, and then we got the saga view of life. And saga living is it heroically responds to the gift of life by celebrating our human strengths and abilities, but then it pits us against the destructive forces that constantly threaten us, which isn't all bad, 
Homer's ep great epic, the Iliad, is a witness to life as a saga. In the story, Achilles and other saga heroes and heroines become inspiring examples of human greatness, standing against the evils that threaten human dignity and meaning. However, saga living is ultimately doomed. For as inspiring as the stories of these lives are, it's only human nature to take note of the low points in these ups and downs. Human achievement and human hope often appear ultimately crushed, even when they may not actually be crushed at all. A third image, and I think a more healthier view of life and of salvation, is viewing it as a pilgrimage. Life becomes our heading towards some great and lasting conclusion. First John offers us this image when the author wrote, what shall what we shall be has not yet been revealed. Now, pilgrimage is life lived as a journey towards something better, but not fully known. It overcomes the despair that hovers over treadmill or saga living. Pilgrim living is not without its ups and downs, not without seasons of drudgery or pain, and quite frankly, it's not always as linear as many people might prefer. It takes a lot longer. But pilgrim living helps us to find light and hope and meaning for the present, not only for ourselves, but for the world. And pilgrim living, this view, it also offers us the hope that we are on our way towards something better. For those we love, those even those we dislike, and all the present and past values we find in life and in history. In this view, we trust Robert Browning's line, the best is yet to come, even when the world seems to be going to hell in a handbasket. And let me be very clear, from where I view the world, especially lately, the hell-bound handbasket does not seem entirely out of the question at the moment in light of current events especially. For even as one former police officer is being tried for the murder of George Floyd, another current police officer, I guess she stepped down after she mistook her gun for a taser, at least the way it appears, and then shot and killed 20-year-old Dante Wright this past Sunday, another young black man. Then there was the video footage this past week of the 13-year-old boy in Chicago that was released. He had his hands in the air, and the police officer shot and killed him. Then another mass shooting in Indianapolis, and another eight innocent bystanders' lives come to an end. It is enough to make anyone with a shred of compassion absolutely heartsick hearing all of these stories. And these are just some of the top stories this past week. Where are all the all lives matter folks right now? Don't the lives of these eight who were gunned down in Indianapolis matter? Don't the lives of George Floyd and Dante Wright matter? Doesn't the life of this 13-year-old boy who was shot and killed matter? Where are all the good guys with guns who should be saving all these lives now? Who will save us? from a lust for unfettered individual freedom that is so strong and so tempting and alluring that we ignore the very lives of defenseless people and even children? 
If the deaths of George Floyd and Dante Wright are in some way justifiable because they had a criminal record or because they didn't cooperate fully as they were being taken into police custody, some of us participating in this very worship service could have been rightfully killed as well years ago. Because some of us shoplifted and ran from police. Some of us vandalized another person's property when we were a teenager or a young person, and then we hid when the police showed up and we ran away when we were younger. And some of us have children or grandchildren that have done things along the way that, well, by this standard, they could be killed for and it should be okay. But none of us and none of them were killed for these indiscretions. Chances are, at least. Why? It's immoral and completely unethical to kill another living, breathing human being. Full stop. But who is going to save us from killing one another? Who will chart a better course, one that leads toward a world where the lives of our neighbors are worth more to each of us than our hobbies, our possessions, and our whims? If salvation is only about a privatized, spiritualized, afterlife-oriented plan, where we're supposed to believe the right stuff in our heads in order to gain a desirable eternal destination, I don't know how else to say it, we're in grave danger as a society, and the church is pointless. If that is all there is, why should we care who gets gunned down in the streets? Because if this world really is not our home, but a pit stop on a way to a better place, and this world it really doesn't matter all that much, then there's no need to put any energy into stopping all of the killing. There's really no need to care about education or health care. There's really no need to care for the creation and the environment. Now, sadly, you can see that this sort of toxic theology I'm describing has infected much of Christianity. Bad theology quite literally kills. If the end game for salvation is to pray a sinner's prayer, to beg for God's forgiveness, and then to believe the right stuff in our heads about God and Jesus all for the sake of heaven later, count me out. Because the hell breaking loose all around us right now is just too real. And if God doesn't care about the earth enough for us to care about its condition, if God doesn't care about young black people being killed by police at an alarming rate enough for me to care about their lives, if God doesn't care enough about the eight innocent folks who were gunned down at Minneapolis enough for me to care about stopping this from ever happening to anyone ever again, why would I want to go and spend an afterlife with that kind of God anyway? If we're all just in it for ourselves and for our own personal, privatized, eternal, afterlife-oriented salvation, and God is okay with all that, count me out. But thankfully, God does care greatly about all of these tragedies, all of this pain, all of this death, all of this destruction, and God cares greatly about us working together on this journey of salvation. As Bishop Desmond Tutu so eloquently put it, My humanity is bound up in yours. 
for we can only be human together. I believe it rings true as well when you say it this way. My salvation is bound up in yours, for we can only be saved together. And by saved, this includes the present as well as the future, as well as the not yet fully realized. We need saving, not just from some future hell, but from the one we have created right now and the ones we will create tomorrow and the next day. If Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., after all of the hatred and conflict and evil he had encountered, could say the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice, the least most of us can do is come to the realization that we are not actually stuck on the treadmill of life, helplessly repeating the same things over and over, nor are we doomed to the saga view of life, depending on which hero or shiro wins or loses from one day to the next before we determine how we're going to feel about life. No, instead, we choose to take up the long view as well as the short view and realize that this journey is what we make of it together. We realize that the arc of the moral universe does not bend itself towards justice, and that one set of hands on the moral arc of the universe at a time will never bend it towards justice. It takes all hands on the moral arc of the universe to bend it towards justice. This journey of salvation means we must awaken to the fact that over the course of our lifetimes, as well as our time together as a people, a faith community, we have been given each day as an opportunity to move not just ourselves, but also our society, to move it all forward, to make progress closer to the one world family that God envisions for all of God's children, all of the world, closer to God's vision of Beloved community, right now, as First John states, we are all God's children, even though not everyone is guaranteed equal treatment just yet. What will it look like someday? What will we look like someday? What will we be? Well, something much better. So long as we don't forget that this life is a journey. Salvation is a journey. And remember to find the courage to do our part along this journey. Sometimes doing our part means whispering a prayer in private. Maybe for ourselves, maybe for someone else. But sometimes salvation, doing our part, means asking for forgiveness, yes. But it doesn't end there. Sometimes doing our part means organizing ourselves to restructure, to tear down and rebuild toxic systems right out in the public square that are quite literally killing people. And always doing our part means working together as a community, realizing we're in this together to bring God's vision of beloved community, the kingdom of God, to earth, just as it is in heaven. So... In the name of the one who calls us to engage in this 
journey every single day that we have breath in our lungs and reminds us we are never to go it alone. Amen.